Now you know why Bill's the junior high youth pastor at Christian Family Chapel. He does a great job and very, very great. Uh, I can, we've had six kids go through the youth ministry here at the chapel. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for is for so many junior high years or the awful years. And that was just not true for our kids in the junior high ministry here. Uh, it was a time where they grew in Christ, where they were encouraged in the scriptures and grew in their faith. So really grateful for them. And as you heard those students share their testimony, uh, I wonder, did you ask yourself, do you have a testimony? Do you have a time where there was a, a place, a point in time in your life where you went, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need a savior? Sometimes people say something like this, I've been a Christian my whole life. And that's actually not true for anyone. No one has ever been a Christian their entire life. Because the scripture says, actually, we were born separated from God, guilty before God. And only when we reach a point where we acknowledge that and remit that we are deserving of God's wrath, but Jesus paid it for us and we receive it as a gift, then we are born again. And so if you don't have a moment in time where you know that you were born again, I want to invite you to maybe you'd stay after and say, I need to talk about that in the same way that those students talked about needing to talk to their parents when they recognized they needed a savior. All of us need a moment where we recognize Jesus to be our Savior. So if that's not true for you yet in your life, we hope that that day would be today. If you have a Bible with you, we do want to, as Bill said, look at the scriptures together. So whether it's on a phone or a hard copy, let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14. Really grateful for Ryan, who taught us Mark 13 last week. I was in South Carolina with Jackie for not only celebrating her birthday early, but then some board uh, responsibilities. And then, of course, I got to do some grandpa responsibilities up in South Carolina. And I get to tell you this morning that we have number six grandchild on the way here in Jacksonville. So excited about that. I've been sitting on that news for quite a while now. And so I finally got the release to be able to tell you. Don't know if it's a boy yet or a girl, but we're, the girls are leading four to one at this point. So uh, maybe we'll even it out a little bit. All right. So in Mark chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus encounter what we and he will describe as an unforgettable act of worship. Now, let me clarify before we read the text. We're going to see an unforgettable act of worship, but we're never going to see anybody sing a song. So if you're equating worship equals singing, let me help you understand that singing is a part of worship, but only a part. Worship is much more than singing. Worship is ascribing to God the greatness of his worth. It's saying this act is a description, is reflective of how great God is. So we're going to see an unforgettable act of worship with no singing involved. For some of you, that's really great news because you're thinking, oh man, I'm not a very good singer. And so I always kind of feel out on the worship. This doesn't involve singing, but it is, according to Jesus, as we'll see, the unforgettable act of worship. So Mark 14 begins like this. 
Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away and the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to seize him, that is Jesus, by stealth and kill him. We're in the final week, pause for a moment. We're in the final week in the life of Jesus. And the religious leaders want to kill him, but they recognize that that could create a people problem. So they're trying to do it, but do it in stealth. Their concern, verse 2 says, is for they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. Now, look in your Bible, verse 3, because this is where it turns. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leopard and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been, what's the word? Why has this perfume, say it, been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Now the her is not told us in Mark to be Mary, but the other gospels who record this account tell us this is Mary who's being scolded for what she did. But watch what happens. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Was Jesus telling the truth? Yeah, uh, the irony is some 2,000 years later in a little town, Jacksonville, Florida, we are remembering what this woman did in worship of Jesus without ever singing a song. Now, as we look at this text, can I just tell you, everybody harassed me last week going, oh, way to give Ryan the whole chapter of Mark 13 about future things. You didn't want to teach it, huh? And I was like, actually... I would have preferred to teach that last week and let him teach this week because this week, this passage will confront, maybe you, confronts me like few other passages in the scripture do. Let me explain why. It all begins with this house party in Bethany. In other words, when Jesus in Jerusalem for the final week of his life he, is staying, he spends the day in Jerusalem, but you understand it would have been super crowded because it was time of Passover. So he would be there in the day and then leave at night, and he was staying outside of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives in this little town called Bethany. And this house party that we get a glimpse into in Mark 14 has 17 people at least there. It includes Jesus and the 12 are there, including Judas still with the 12. So there's Jesus, the 12, and then there's a a portion of a family there, Lazarus, his sister, Martha, and her sister, Mary. So two sisters and brother, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary are there. So Jesus, the 12, those three, and then the host is 
Simon the leper. Now, if the house party is at Simon the leper's house, what does that tell you about Simon the leper? It tells you he no longer has leprosy because if he still did, he could not have people around him. No one could touch him. He could not touch them. They could not be near him. Those who had leprosy were untouchable. So the text does not specifically say it, but what might you guess happened to Simon? Yeah, we could guess that Jesus is at his house because he's the one who healed Simon. And any time Jesus would come to town, if you had a, a disease that completely isolated you from all of society, and a mat, that man, Jesus, healed you, you would, you would do whatever you could for him. Yes? Oh. I don't want you to miss, this isn't said in the text, but I don't want you to miss that we've been healed by Jesus of something far greater than leprosy. Because leprosy would be horrible to engage life with, but when life is done, leprosy is done. But you and I, as was declared in the testimonies, have a sin problem. And our sin problem doesn't end with life. It impacts us through all eternity. And so because Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin, and Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin, to be healed by him through trusting in him, to be forgiven by him. I would suggest that all of us, like Simon the leper would say, anything that we have is yours, Jesus. You've saved my life. You've saved me for all eternity. Now, that's not stated in the text, but what is stated in the text is what Mary does in verse 3 that turns the house party into an argument. There came a woman, it's Mary, with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. Now, let me interpret that for you. An alabaster vial, simply think perfume bottle, except it was not in glass. Alabaster was a stone, like a white marble that you might think about, and it would have been carved out so that this very costly perfume of pure nard. Any of you have pure nard? If you got some, you might want to hold on to it because it's super, super valuable. It's in this carved out stone and then sealed with wax on the top. And what does she do? She broke the vial. So she breaks the seal and she pours it over his head and an argument breaks out. And it breaks out because when it says very costly perfume, what did it say it was worth? Uh, for over, it could have been sold for over 300 denarii. But you don't have any denarii in your pocket, so you know what that means. A denarii was a day's wage. So translate it into your world. In Jacksonville, Florida, the average salary currently is over $47,000. Divide that by 365 a day's wage. And what you have is Mary has a bottle of perfume. In our language, she has a bottle of perfume worth $40,000. 
you don't look very impressed. I go, oh, how many of you have perfume worth 40 grand? Because if you do, I'd sure like to see it for a long time. 40 grand. Uh, what, what questions pop into your mind when you hear a bottle of perfume worth $40,000? What, what question? Where'd you get that? And why do you have it? And I think, who buys that? And if you have it, why in the world are you walking around with it? Because if you have a $40,000 container perfume, don't be bringing it to Simon's house. Keep it hidden. I don't want anybody else to know that we have a $40,000 bottle of perfume. That, that folks, uh, again, I wonder if do you realize what I just said to you. I don't think any of you have any liquid in your house, house worth 40 grand. Any of you have a $40,000 bottle of wine? 40? I'm just I'm not, this is not a wine question. Nobody has a four. But imagine if you had a $40,000 bottle of wine and in the middle of the house party, the guy pulls, the, the gal pulls it out and pops the cork. Whoa. That's a big moment. Yes. And then dumps it on Jesus's head. And his feet, the pure nard. And the place goes a little crazy. Why? Because the house party comes unglued when she anoints Jesus with perfume valued at nearly a year's wage. reaction? Well, verse 4 says, some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? See, this is the problem if you got $40,000 bottle of liquid. When in the world do you ever actually use it? Because it's not like it's got a spray top where you can go, here, there's about 4000 worth. If you break the seal, you've broken the seal. And they go, what a waste. Now, who, who are the some here? Well, the Gospels tell us, again, you have to lay along how Matthew and John talk about this, and you find out that it's the disciples who... This perfume, they say, this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. I mean, this is great, but so much more could have been done with this. And they are scolding her for it. And don't miss, don't miss the word. They are scolding her because they consider what she has done a, what is it? A waste. They consider her actions toward Jesus a waste. And even more is going on. This is what comes out of some of the disciples' mouth. But John 12, 6 tells us what's happening in one of their heads. It tells us what's happening in the head of Judas. Now he, Judas, said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief 
And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So he's not thinking about the poor. He's thinking about, sheesh, he's thinking, I could have gotten rich off of this. And you just wasted it. He considers himself the big loser. You know, what's interesting, we never find out what Sister Martha and Brother Lazarus have to say. Because if there's anybody in the house who knew why in the world Mary had a $40,000 bottle of perfume, they would know. And were they in agreement with what she had just done? They don't scold her, but nor do they come to her defense. Only... Jesus, let her alone, verse 6. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. So to the disciples who say, waste, waste, why did you do it? He says to them, stop it. Stop scolding her. You think she's done a wasteful thing. I say she's done a really good thing. I say, well done, Mary. And I say, well done, because your timing is perfect. Now, if you're not sure what I mean by, he says, your timing is perfect. Look at verse 8. Excuse me, 7. You have always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me and now verse 8, what, what's, what is she doing? What good has she done? Anointed him for, for burial, which obviously means Jesus is going to, to die. Hey, folks, look up here if you would for a moment. What's happening here is Jesus is commending Mary because her actions represent that she understands what the disciples who are scolding her don't. He has told them over and over and again, I'm going to suffer and die and be killed. And they go, no, no, no. We've seen this through the gospel of Mark. It's just been a long time as we've studied this. And they totally miss it. But she does this. And, and Jesus says, way to go. You understand what these guys can't comprehend. She gets the time. that This is happening with days of his death. And so he commends her for what she has done. Now, let me ask you this. Well, let me first confess. The reason I would say I would rather teach Mark 13 than Mark 14 is because if I'm the 18th person at this party and Mary does what she does and the disciples say, waste, and Jesus says, stop it, she did good. I recognize I'm on the wrong side. I recognize if I had been there, I would, have, I would have been going, that's a waste. Why do we do that? And Jesus would have been saying to me, you're wrong. Now, it became clear to me as I studied this text 
of why I go, ah, this is such a horrible text for me to teach because nobody likes to be on the wrong side of Jesus. But, but I realized, apart from Jesus saying, stop it, well done, Mary, I would, I would interpret this text completely differently. I would be standing up here right now giving you a sermon about how you should be responsible with the resources that God has given to you. And in the middle of my sermon, you know what Jesus would be saying? Stop it. <laughs> well, that stinks. So let me ask you, if you're the 19th person and the argument breaks out, are you here? Or, or, or what have you really been going? Way to go, Mary. That is awesome. Because if you, if, you, if you could genuinely, honestly say, man, I'd been with Mary, then God bless you. You can probably go ahead and go now. <laughs> honestly. Because I got nothing but respect for you. And the rest of this message is really what God showed the mirror of my ugliness in this text. As I went, hmm. I don't see it the way Jesus sees it. And so, as I was studying and laying it out, I was like, oh, I'd, I wouldn't do it this way. And so I asked myself this question. Why do I fail to worship like Mary. And I don't mean just singing. Again, there was no singing involved here. Why do I fail to worship like Mary? And can I tell you, the answering of that question didn't take me long. In, in probably less than a minute, I was able to go, well, this is true about me, this is true about me, this is true about me, this is true about me. And there may be on one or two or three or these, or maybe none, of these five that you'll go, yeah, that, uh, I would be like that as well. Here's what I mean. I didn't like to admit this, but as soon as I asked myself, why, why do I fail to worship like Mary did, I realized, because I'm a thief. It's never fun to see that you're Judas in the text. Now, relax, I'm not pilfering from the offering plates. <laughs> I, I promise, I'm not. Somebody asked me one time, do you get a percentage of what everybody puts in there? And I thought, wow, I, no, that would radically change the introduction to the offering if I got a percentage. <laughs> so I'm not stealing from the plate, but I genuinely recognize that though I know intellectually and have stated verbally many, many times in front of you and to myself that I do not belong to me, that all my stuff belongs to the Lord, that practically, even though I know it belongs to him, I often am prone to act like it belongs to me. Which is why I would be on the wrong side in this encounter. You know, when, when a monk named Martin Luther 
was engaged in his religious ritual through his Catholic faith, he began to have that very uncomfortable experience of realizing what he was doing and practicing was not in line with what the Scripture said. And the Protestant Reformation, in other words, the reforming of what was happening in church versus what the Scripture says, began with Martin Luther writing down 95 theses, in other words, 95 declarations of truth, and nailing them to the little town that he lived in the time called Wittenberg. It's, maybe you've heard this expression when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. I was surprised to discover that number one of the 95 theses was not salvation is by grace alone. Number one says this, all of life is repentance. That's the first statement he made. All of life is repentance. In other words, all of life, I must constantly, not one time, I must constantly recognize that my thoughts need to be changed to come in line with these thoughts. Because I am, on a daily basis, profoundly prone to not think like the Scripture calls me to think. So, if you say, yeah, I, I repented, I changed my mind back in 76... I say, way to go in 76. Uh, but you're a little behind on the repentance. Because all of life is repentance. In other words, on a daily, continual basis, I must change my mind to think according to what the Scripture thinks. And in this encounter, I was confronted with a need for repentance. With first, that though I know it's mine and say, excuse me, I know it's his and say it's his, I act like it's mine. And this passage reminds me that worship, totally apart from singing, genuine worship will always include a repentance, a realigning my mind to agree with God. So for me, the first act of repentance coming out of this passage was Jesus I repent of holding on to what is yours as if it's mine. Now, this may seem a little unusual for you, but I'm inviting you here in North as well as over in South that if as you, the 19th person in this house party, find yourself over here, and one of the reasons you go, I am prone to be a thief, in other words, to put my hands on what God says is his, then I genuinely want you, not saying everybody needs to, only if this repentant shoe fits, I want to invite you to declare it with me out loud. Don't repent for something you don't need to repent of. You've got plenty you need to repent of. You don't have to add to it. <laughs> but if this fits for you, I invite you with me out loud. Jesus, I repent of holding on to what is yours as if it is mine. And that won't be a one-time repentance. That'll probably be again tomorrow.
and next weekend, and then the next weekend, and then the next day. Jesus, I repent of holding on to what is yours as if it's mine. But that's not all. I also recognize I would be against Jesus on this one because I'm a chicken. Now, what I mean by that is, do you appreciate how bold and courageous Mary is in this encounter? I mean, Mary's not stupid. Mary's not dumb. She understands that she is liquid with 40K, and if she breaks the seal and pours it on Jesus' head, she is going to be criticized. People are going to accuse her of, what was the word? Waste. What a foolish thing to do. She has to know that people would be against her. Question. You ever been prompted by the Lord to do something you know he wanted you to do? And it would be an act of worship that may or may not have involved singing. An act of worship, but you stepped back because you thought, people will criticize, people will look at me. If I actually raised my hand during the worship, people would think, What's wrong? What's he doing? Or if you knelt while we were worshiping, ever thought that and then went, ah, I don't know, I don't, that would be awkward. Some think that this $40,000 bottle of perfume was Mary's dowry. In other words, it would be that gift that would be given for when she would be married. And so for her to give that away would be to like, whoa, what about my future. You ever been prompted by the Lord to do something, but then in fear shrank back because of how it might impact your future? See, I am challenged greatly by Mary. Because fundamentally, this is not new to you. I've confessed this to you before. I'm a chicken. And so repentance With this, Jesus, I repent of holding on to things in fear that I'm not going to have what I need later. Again, this one might not fit, but if this repentance shoe fits for you, I invite you out loud right now with me. Jesus, I repent of holding on to things in fear that I will not have what I need later because worship is trust and trust is not only for the moment trust in the moment also often requires a trust for the future Mary was bold and I'm chicken third (laughs) I'm too pragmatic calculated By that, I simply mean, (laughs) I recognize if Mary would have called me and said, hey, Doug, I need need your pastoral counsel here. Uh, We're going to a house party tonight at Simon the Leper's, and Jesus is going to be there, and I've got this $40,000 bottle of perfume, and I I think he wants me to, the Lord wants me to break it and pour it on his head and anoint him. What do you think? I think, I think, here's what I say. 
Mary, I love your heart. But what's the next word? But. I love your heart, but, but you might not want to be that extreme. I, I appreciate your desire to worship him. But, but you know what? I think God would be honored if you went down to the market and took your $40,000 bottle perfume and traded it for $10,000, or excuse me, $10,000, $4,000 bottles of nearly nard perfume. (laughs) And then you took one of those 10 and anointed him with that. Because, I mean, that would be honoring. You would be worshiping the Lord. You'd still have your other 36. Doesn't that make so much sense? And, and you'd go, oh, thank you very much. And the Lord Jesus would say to me, stop it. That's terrible counsel. Honestly, how many of us just, when we did this whole giving series, how many of you just were at the end of it still screaming, just tell us 10%. Just give me a percentage so I can calculate what I can give, then what I need to give, and then I can have the rest for myself. Because that would be responsible. You know, the, the, the scripture gives these adverbs to, to how we use our resources. Of, and I think they are, that we spend wisely, we save responsibly, and we share generously. And I know good and well that, and Jackie can testify, I've got the spend wisely part down. But I've confused. I'd like to blame it on my parents, but that's too long ago. It's just me. I save generously and share responsibly. And that's not what Mary does. She doesn't calculate it. In fact, as I was thinking about this text, I I realized that Mark, the gospel of Mark, records two acts of worship through extreme generosity within a space of a few days. This one and what other one we just looked at? Yeah, the widow. Remember, just within the span of a few days, there was just a widow who had taken her final two coins, a cent, and given it all at the treasury and walked away, went home with nothing. And you kind of go, that's just not responsible. And I realized (laughs) that both of those were women. And so, guys, I'm not saying saying that it's this is only our act of repentance. Because this may be for some of you ladies as well, but but recognize (laughs) that it's the men here this morning that are going to be prone to be pragmatic and calculated and responsible and maybe too much so. See, I can barely say it. And maybe, see, I, I put a maybe on it. I'll tell you why in a moment. But it, this is why it's so hard for me to teach this passage because I don't know, just lots of passages I feel like I can connect to what's happening here. And and I look at this and I go, all right, Jesus, I know you're right. (sighs) This is just foreign to me. That that type of action, that just doesn't mesh with me. I I realized driving in this morning, Mary and I would have not been good friends. (laughs) Seriously, I don't think we would have hung out. 
should have driven me crazy. And because, so before I go to that, Jesus, I repent of failing to be generous in the name of being responsible. This is not the first time I've had to repent of this. And it probably won't be the last. But if, if this repentant shoe fits you, let me invite you out loud with me. Jesus, I repent of failing to be generous in the name of being responsible. Fourth, I'm a server more than a worshiper. And I don't, again, I don't mean singer. (laughs) Because this is the second time that Mary and Martha are at a house party, if you will, and Jesus is present. And this is the second time that Mary gets the kudos and Martha doesn't. The previous time was when they had had them at her house, not at Simon's house, but they're at their house and they have Jesus for dinner and Martha has worked her hands to the bone in preparing the meal, in getting the, ready, the place ready, in serving the meal. And what has Mary been doing the whole stinking time? Sitting at Jesus' feet. That sort of people drive me bananas. I want to go, and I usually don't say it, but inside me is screaming, can't you see something needs to be done? Get up and help. But she's just sitting there, and inside, I would be all frustrated. And then Jesus goes, Mary's chosen the better part. That makes me mad. I'm serious. Because you know what wells up in me this? All right, fine. Then next time I'll sit around and we'll all go hungry together. How about that? (laughs) Don't you ever think that? Yeah. See, I'm telling you, you're like me, you're gone. Jesus, that sounds great, but that's, that's not how real life works. And Jesus says to you and he's saying to me, what? Stop it. Stop it. Repent. Change your mind. Because if I have an hour, now I've said all along, worship is more than what? Singing. But if I have an hour to stand and sing or an hour to help people, you know, do something like productive, have I waited it sufficiently there? What am I going to do? I'm going to help somebody. I'm not going to waste. Now, I know the worship people are like, see, yeah, we're, Jesus is on our side. <laughs> and you know what? You know what I hate about that? He is. What I hate about the reality of my own thoughts is, I, uh, again, you, you may go, I need to change churches. I understand. Because <laughs> I, I go, can we do a little less singing and actually, you know, do something a little more productive? Thankfully, there's enough good people in my life who go, uh, that's just you, Doug. You're an idiot. <laughs> and that's true. That's good. Oh, 
So I know this will not be the first. Many, Jesus, I repent of thinking that serving you can replace worshiping you. If that, if that repentant shoe fits, I invite you out loud with me. Jesus, I repent of thinking that serving you can replace worshiping you. There really is moments to be able to with quiet before the Lord. And then finally, I'm unaware of the times. And I just looked at the time, and I have been unaware of the times. <laughs> you know, ultimately what's happening here is this. Mary does what she does because Jesus says, your timing is perfect. And so, don't miss this. The fact that I recognize that I would be in the disciple side of saying waste is reflective that I don't get the times. In fact, if, if they would have known that Jesus was going to die in a few days, I think they would have gone, all right, okay, we get it. What, what are we saving it for? And sometimes we just got to ask ourselves, what are you saving it for? What am I saving it for? Did you understand what, what God is doing? Not only in this community, what he's doing in the world and what in the world am I doing? Do I not get the times? So the repentance for me is Jesus. I repent of not seeing my life through the lens of what, what you are doing. Not what's going on in my life, but what you are doing. And so if that repentance shoe fits out loud with me. Jesus, I repent not seeing my life through the lens of what you are doing. Now I've given you these not for one time repentance for the rest of your life. All of life is repentance. And so this may be that which you take to the Lord this afternoon, again, tonight, tomorrow, next week. Let's stand together and let's declare together that we have not been who we should be. We've not seen what we should see. And invite Christ to bring us into the repentance that worships him. Let's declare this together. We are not what we should be. We haven't sought what we should see. You've seen your glory, Lord, looked away. Our hearts are bent, our eyes are dim. Our finest works are stained with sin. Emptiness has shadowed all
You give light, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is None of us have $40,000 bottles of perfume. But we all have breath in our lungs. And actually, which is of greater value? Breath or 40K of perfume? What is it? Breath. Every single one of you would give $40,000 to have breath. And so actually, we have what Mary had. We have something most valuable to us, and it's our breath. And so we have the opportunity to worship as she worshiped, to pour it out as she poured it out. Not just once, but each day, each morning, that not just in song, but in prayer and in praise and in declaring the truth to ourselves and wherever we go, that we would pour out our praise, our breath, and our lungs. The greatest act of worship we can give. So with that clarity that it is of the greatest thing that you own, would you declare this again, that we pour out our praise because he is worth it. Let's declare that again. It's your breath in our lungs. So you declare it again. Don't sing it, say it. Great are you, Lord. Say it with me. Great are you, Lord. And again, great are you, Lord. Lord, the breath is yours. The body is yours. Would the praise be yours? Every moment of every day and when it's not, would you find us then using the breath to repent? that once again, the praise would be yours, that we would find ourselves more on your side and less 
on the disciples' heart. Would you grow us to be more like your friend Mary? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. If we can pray with you, that really is one of our greatest privileges. Or if you're a guest this morning, just remind you that there's the guest reception. We'd love to meet with you. God bless.